you can't go big without starting with some sort of hypothesis that's like a gut hypothesis. I feel like this would be fun. And then we, we can evaluate if it makes sense or if now is the right time, but you kind of need these two contrasting forces to get really great outcomes. So you need, you need someone to come in with the, the fever dream and then someone else to come with the numbers and say, okay, we will wager one day of one engineer on your crazy idea and then we'll see what happens. And then we don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. My name is Katie Kuffel, and I'm joined by Liquid & Grit CEO, Brett Novak. We had the chance to speak with Shane Sorelli, the former Senior Director of Product Management at Zynga, and now a top consultant, if not the top consultant, in mobile gaming. He shed some light on how implementing great ideas can only happen when testing and data meet off-the-wall creativity. This is Creators at Work. How did you end up at Zynga? It's funny you ask, because it is kind of an interesting story. After school, I did some different things. And then I ended up in online advertising. That was like my first real product management job doing performance marketing. That's actually where I, I practiced a lot of the skills that I ended up using at Zynga, like A-B testing and like large data sets and optimizing funnels and all of this. That's, those are ad tech concepts. They were pretty cutting edge at the time. But if you think of like direct marketing, A-B testing, they were doing that with catalogs back in the day, mail, mail order catalogs. So I was doing that, enjoying it, but the, the things were shifting. We were, we kind of hit the, the mortgage downturn, like economy was all sort of in a weird place. I'm like, I need to do something else. And, and this is like a good pivot point. So I literally applied to like jobs in four different industries, like completely trying something new. And so I just went to the Zynga.com website and like sent in my resume. That's how I, that's how I ended up there. And the reason I knew about it was because in my space, a lot of our traffic, we were a network. I worked at Adderactive and so we would buy traffic and then we would sell that traffic or convert that traffic and then sell the leads. And so what I did was create leads and, and we sold those to our, our clients. So we had our own websites and we would test different offer flows and then we'd sell the leads. And around the time that I was like ready to look for another position, a lot of our traffic was coming from social, like Facebook was really new and hot and the volume, it wasn't just Facebook. It was MySpace. It was tagged. It was i5. I mean, this is, this is a while ago and, and it was just blowing up and like a larger and larger percentage of our revenue. We were doing quite well in terms of like revenue at that company was coming from Zynga. And I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. And I made some Facebook apps because I, I wanted to understand it. So I, and I, they were getting a lot of insults and I'm like, something's happening here. This is crazy. I need to get in here. And so I just like basically just sent it in and I was like, what do I got to do to get hired? Do you want to hear my job interview? What happened yeah. with my job? Interview? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. It's atypical, um, but I actually took some of it. And I started using it in my hiring process at Zynga. So I, I, I interviewed there. Lo was the recruiter. She was awesome. And, and so she brought me in. I think I was probably a wild card in their, in their minds. It was for a product management role, but I had no game experience. And so Zynga Poker. And so I go meet with the team. This is in their old office where it's uh, the chip factory that Pincus owned. It was super ghetto. This is before Daharo. This is before Daharo. It was like, I had worked at a lot of startups and it was like what you would expect, except it wasn't somebody's house. It was like an actual office building, but wires on the, like you'd have to walk over ethernet cables. There's like wires on the ceiling. At lunchtime, it would get so hot, like in certain places, like you couldn't breathe and you'd have to like go somewhere else. Or it, it was crazy. There was stuffing so many people in there. So anyway, I went there for an interview, met with the team. I think it went pretty well. Like they were asking me typical questions, but then I think they're just like, they're just like, this guy has no experience. And I'm interviewing people who are interviewing with people who like had careers at EA and other major game companies. So, you know, they have a clear perspective. And at the time, product management 
was the thing in gaming. And so it was, a, it was sort of a Zynga type of thing. And there were debates, I know, after early, when I, after I joined, what's the role split between product and production? You know, what's an EP versus like a product manager? So anyway, what happened was I had the first interview. I think it went well. It was hard to tell. I met with a bunch of people. It was very scrappy startup, I could tell. I really enjoyed the experience and wanted to take the, the role. And then a few days later, they they said, could you like do a presentation on what you would do to our product and like present it to the team? And so I had to like, this is old. I mean, it was a MySpace app that I, I broke down and it was really terrible. Like it was so bad. Um, so it was kind of a layup in some ways, but this was also, you know, not coming from that space. Like you get used to the fact on web, like these were tiny little games that fit in a, t in a small footprint, you know, but the rest of apps and PCs and, and like console game, it's, it's not this like tiny little thing that fits in the iframe. Right. So th they were, they were used to that. And, and so they had a lot of like UX things that they had grown accustomed to. And anyway, I came in and I just like tore it all up and, and I'm like, these are all things I would do. And I just put it out there knowing that I could upset some folks. And I also didn't have any experience, but I was just using logic and, and, and explaining my rationale and, and numbers where I could. Most people on the team liked the presentation, whether or not they agreed with my suggestions. I think that's a different thing, but some people didn't. Like, I think the game designers were less excited about me <laughs> making sweeping changes. I can't remember how many of them actually got implemented, probably not many, but it was super intimidating. Like, honestly, like going in front of a group, I'd never done something like that, didn't have any experience and just like having to like be honest and because you know if, if you do like bs type stuff they're going to see through it and they're gonna be like this isn't interesting and then if you're too aggressive they might be offended somehow in all of that i got hired <laughs> <laughs> what year was that this was like january 09 09 uh, okay so i joined yeah. two years later and my hiring process wasn't super so so much more sophisticated so i mean it was still scrappy back in 2011 because the quick hiring story for me is that i was a first year mba student someone had gotten an internship there in second year and he told me about it he introduced me so i ended up prepping a ton and i didn't have any experience in gaming either i was coming from basically professional hockey so my background was minimal at most in terms of actual work experience so i was playing farmville all day long i had everything prepped and i ended up doing three 30-minute phone call interviews low Kane and I think Eddie and that was it and it was like a day later they're like yeah we'll give you a call at some point and a day later they're like yeah you got the internship I was obviously an internship so it was like well if we don't like mm -hmm. the guy we can get rid of him but mm -hmm. I can remember it was it was like December or January in business school which no one gets jobs that early I was like yeah I'm done I have I have an internship with Zynga and, and they're like you didn't fly out there you didn't talk to anyone you didn't, I mean it was an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. And I think similarly, I mean, I think it was a wild card. It was interesting times like the hour. I mean, I can understand it from the inside. Like it sounds crazy. I know probably compared to other intern hiring processes, but back, back then when, when you joined, like it was hiring, we were hiring so many people, like we were interviewing so many people and the company was growing so fast. It was just insane. Like finding 15 minutes, you know, was so hard. It was, it was a wild west. Yeah, it was. And one thing you brought up, which was kind of interesting back then, I remember on Zynga Poker, we had a super awesome, and I remember, I forget a lot of people's names, unfortunately, but we had a super awesome executive producer. She was a lady who would use Jira and we would have those like standups where she would go through and check mark all of the items. I don't know if you remember, it'd be like ticket 1124. And it was wild. Like Katie, basically every day you'd have a scrum, but it, it, we shuffle in 25 people. And that's not an exaggeration. It would be like 25 people in this office that shouldn't have had 25 people in it. She was amazing. And she was, she was amazing. She was executive producer. And she would have this 
sheet that had all of the features that were all had tickets associated with them. And you as a PM owned different ones and they had a URL string at the end of the string would be the identification number. So she would just label them ticket 1142. Yeah. In the meeting, she would literally just walk through this list and she'd just fire off these numbers and you had to respond right away. I mean, because this meeting was short and had to go through all these different things and be like, what's the update on ticket 1124? I have that going out tomorrow. And you would basically have to fight. You'd have to be ready and be like, 1124, yes, it's expected to go out tomorrow. It's on plan, da, 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 da. And low, the GM would be sitting in the back listening. So you did not want to say anything, but it was on plan. And then she, she had the color code. And it'd go from like yellow to orange. And if it was, if it was bad, it'd go <laughs> red. And then if it was on yeah. green. That was like a big thing that you had to deal with every single morning. Like you, you better be ready in that meeting. Not to mention, you also better be ready to answer and ready to like be listening. Because like if Lo heard a little like pause or whatever, yeah, that was not good either. Like, <laughs> like who owns this ticket? You remember that, Shane? I mean, you remember yeah. yeah it was, I mean, it was intense. Like we're just moving so fast. She was actually, she came up the other day. Incredible. She would do, run these meetings and, and be speaking. And while she was talking, she was typing, taking notes, writing action items. And at the end of the meeting, before you stepped out of the room, she had already sent an email with summarizing everything and who's supposed to do what, all the meeting notes. And you get back to your desk and you check. The first thing I would always do is like check my email. What did I miss? And the first thing in there is literally the meeting I just had. It was incredible. For those who weren't there, the other thing, Katie, we shipped every single day except for Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, we release code, which is for most- Sometimes Fridays. Sometimes Fridays. <laughs> sometimes Fridays. Yeah. yeah, that's true. There's a good percentage of Fridays, actually, where we're like, we don't ship on Friday. And then every Friday we come and be like, okay, we got to get this thing out. But if we did ship on Friday, we'd ship at around like earlier, Katie. And so you, just so you know, it's because if there, if you ship and there's a massive bug or something, and it's got to go through all these rounds of QA, then the dev team is- sticking around through Friday evening and maybe the weekend. And so ideally we ship on Thursday and then you could fix anything on Friday, hot fixes they call them or things like that. And this was yeah. back in Facebook. So you could ship and it would be live right away. To millions it's, of people. Yeah. To, yeah. To Five million people. <laughs> Real low stress. No, no you pressure. Know. Yeah. Yeah. $10,000 a minute. You know, like, actually that's one thing that since Singa, I haven't seen again. It's just because the shift to mobile and people who weren't around for that or at that company, like it's very rare that you see that sort of thing because you need a platform that can accept those kinds of updates. Like mobile, obviously there's an approval process and other steps and rollout and all of this. It was incredible. In retro, at the time, it was just like, this is the way it is. But in retrospect, like you had these super, super well, well-oiled machines to get code live. And these were huge dev teams with lots of features going in. And the orchestration that had to happen. We just had so many really talented people. I don't know how else to explain it. You know, the, the, the engineering managers, the engineers, they were just so good that we could actually do this and not break the game every day. How that was possible, I don't know. It, in comparison, Katie, just so you know, I left the gaming industry for a little while and I maybe released a feature every three weeks, a month, once a month or something. I mean, it was snail's pace. And I used to say that gaming was like being an ER doctor versus other tech, mm -hmm. being like a family practitioner. And you'd come in with these dashboards too, where you saw your revenue metrics and your DAU metrics and God forbid those were down for the day. I mean, then you're just literally your plan for the day was just squashed. I mean, you had to go in and investigate everything that was going on. So you had that, that was sort of like a EKG heart monitor style system. <laughs> and then you had the release cadence. You had to get something out all the time. I mean, you're releasing stuff every single day. The pace of what was going on, I know it sounds like kind of exaggerated because we've talked about it a bunch, but looking back, it was particularly on Facebook, just incredibly fast.
after mm-hmm. a couple of years, a lot of the product managers burned out. I mean, they just, just, mm. it was just too intense, you know? And then some of the things, the growth slowed a little bit. So you, Mm-hmm. So kind of convince yourself to put up with a lot of it through money, which I think a lot of people were doing. They were basically yeah. convincing themselves. Yeah, I'm just going to do this because I'm making these bonuses. And I'm making this equity or whatever. I, I did have one comment though on on like the shipping thing. It, it seemed like we were crazy, but I, I think a lot of what we did was just an evolution, a rapid evolution and adaptation to the environment we were in, which is that literally every day I'd wake up and I'm like, what did Facebook break today? And so you had to have like insane, like situational awareness of what was happening across technology, the user base, obviously revenue, and then be able to answer the question. Like, you know, we had these crazy processes where in retrospect, people were like, what was wrong with you guys? <laughs> Why were you doing like daily reports? Like that's, that's nuts. But the reason is because some of it came from the fact that we had to be able to explain, like, did we break something or did somebody else break something? Cause then if we, we were basically QA for Facebook, right? So we would have to go tell Facebook, hey guys, you guys broke this API. And they're, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll go fix that. And so the longer it took for us to tell them, the longer it took for it to get fixed. That's just one example. But yeah, all these things were really like the daily shipping, you know, because maybe you had to, but it fed into, we were, you know, the testing and all of this. Not only would things break, but also things would change. Like Facebook would just release a new API and, and there's like a first mover advantage. So we need to know, and there was no documentation. So you would have to figure out what's the new thing that I can like wire this game into to get more players involved. So a lot of it came from that. Now it was like, there was a lot of I think of my time at Zynga fondly and, and I, get, I had a lot of fun and it was very exciting. I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up, Brett, like about people burning up. I, I definitely was burnt out when I left and I don't know if I realized it. I just kind of ended up there. I was there six years, you know, move, I moved to Austin during that time, but the company went through a whole, you know, roller coaster from the time I started, like it, the size, what we were focused on, the platforms were shifting underneath us. And yeah, I, it definitely wore on you over time. But for myself, when I left Singa, I was like, I don't want to work in games anymore. Like literally, that's what I thought. You know, I put six years into this. I feel, I don't feel great. Maybe, maybe this isn't my calling. And it took me a couple of years. I, I, I did consulting just because that's the skill set that I had. And that was one of the reasons I did consulting at first was just to pay the bills. And I, I started other ventures, not in gaming. But over time, I recovered and I was like, I really enjoyed doing this. And so now, I, know, I don't think there's a point where I'll ever leave, but um, it was definitely an experience. One thing mm-hmm. that you did bring up back to the releasing is that looking back, it does seem crazy. But I think, like you said, when you think about the variables back then, it wasn't crazy. I mean, the fact that we were looking, we were sending out daily emails now does seem crazy. And I do think it is crazy to do that type of work now. But back then, you're right. I mean, we're not exaggerating in that every day you could wake up to something completely different going on, both on your game and on the platform. One thing that I do want to talk about, because I think to us, it's kind of commonplace, but to other people, they might Mm -hmm. not really know about it, was the process of figuring out what was going on. And this was something that was amazing skill for me to learn. Basically, every day, Katie, we we would basically check all of the channels on Facebook, right? And all of the metrics. So it would be revenue. And then Facebook had all these different channels, bookmarks. And I was terrible at this stuff, notifications. And you'd go through it. And then there would be these dips. And we would have a PM meeting before we had that scrum that I was telling you about. 
you would go through it. So you, if you were on call, you have to go through it and you'd see dips. And then the lead, probably Justin or somebody would be like, Hey, we need to investigate this. We need to investigate this. We need to investigate this. Like, why is that down? Why is this up? What's going on here? And then at the end of the meeting, he'd assign people to each of those investigations. And then you as a PM had to go figure that out. And I'd love to hear from your perspective, Shane, talk to us a little bit about that process, because I think that was kind of a, you know, the other thing I would like to add to all this is that it's pretty incredible that this new game, new product, new industry really came about. And Pincus and Zynga really had so many systems down that fit well for it. I mean, it's kind of incredible that the systems weren't so far behind. I mean, they were so advanced for the speed at which we were going, but you know, more specifically, like talk about the investigation process, because this was definitely something that I thought was such a great skill, like the hypothesis driven funnel based, basically investigation process that we go through. Like how we would figure out what was wrong. Yeah. Like we would download basically if something was down, I mean, I can talk about it, you mm-hmm. can jump in whenever, but you know, if, if bookmarks were down or something like that, Katie, you would have to yeah. go basically to this tool. I think it was like the Z tracker and you'd pull these URLs and then within literally, I'm not kidding, like 10 seconds, they would fire back these CVS files that you would download, right? So you download all these massive files. You would just go in. I mean, you could literally- It's a sea of information. Yeah. And you have to almost be careful about how much data you downloaded because you could just sit there all day long downloading data. And then from there, we had this funnel analysis all the way down and you would have to basically like graph these out week over week or month over month to see if it was something last week or was it something two weeks ago. And then you'd have to write out this nice email and send it to the product team. And and it'd have to have like the TLDR at the top, like bookmarks are down because of... We do this every day. And so you got Mm -hmm. really good at making like one sentence summaries and then your supporting points. And we've talked about this before, but there wasn't really any training for this. Like you just sent it out and then Kane or Shane Mm -hmm. or one of the leads would kind of grill you on it. Like, well, why is this, you know, why did that happen? Or why did this happen? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That skill for me was a really valuable skill was this just like numbers-based, hypothesis-based process mm-hmm. figuring out what was going on and i've applied it to other areas of my life yeah like I, I i remember i don't know when that started exactly i'm trying to remember back when it started uh, i definitely remember like evolving the templates but basically we ended up refining you know like oh we need to send an email i think what would happen is we would get messages from executives saying what you know why is this metric down like hey revenue's dipping what's going on here because early on, we didn't have that level of sophistication. Like the, the Z-Track system came later, uh, years later. And we had like every every studio had like their own like solution. But yeah, I think it, it was just this methodology we kept refining to get to the answer quickly because we didn't have a lot of time. So you needed to have a structured approach that took you from basically not knowing what, what's going on and quickly trying to eliminate, you know, variables. So it just became, you know, and you get a lot of practice, so you get really good at it. You'd have to start with broad strokes. And I think it's definitely stuck with me. Like I still use this every day and the teams that I work with, you know, it's a different time and things are different, but it's, it's, I would say it's a fundamental core skill that's still super important and valuable, especially if you have access to data. But yeah, this structured logical thinking of eliminating quickly how many, because you can only take so many guesses. You only have so much time to, to analyze data. And so, yeah, like, wh- is this an internal issue and is this an external issue? Like looking at the funnels, figuring out, is this technical? Is this is this a feature change? And so, yeah, we just, we had to do it every day and we had to sign it, you know, um, and get really, really fast. And so when we ran into bottlenecks, we, you know, we were iterating for speed, 
So we would try to eliminate, you know, bottlenecks. So we ended up on the poker team. I don't, I don't know what the other teams did, but you know, we have somebody on call and we would rotate because it was so excruciatingly difficult to do it every day and on the weekends you had to do this on the weekends too uh there were no weekends when i was at singa especially no. in the early remember. years i remember being on a sailboat on a saturday in the middle of the bay because i used to sail when i lived there and i got a call from todd arnold and he's like i need you in the office right now <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like i'm literally i'm like i'm gonna have to swim and i felt bad telling him i'm uh i don't know how i'm gonna get there like physically i really did need to be there it was actually a pretty big deal but uh yeah it was crazy times like we just you just had to move fast and you had to figure out like how to be available and get to answers quick i can test that was key because katie you you would come into the day with your list of things that you wanted to do right you wanted to write the specs you want to get these features out which was really important to your bonus and everything because that was the sort of the positive side of revenue growth but these, mm-hmm. so you get assigned these investigations and it was really just like extra work. I mean, despite all of this bonus structure, there was a premium put on being a team player. It was not mm-hmm. cool to not contribute to the general good of the game. And so when these investigations got uh, like basically thrown on the board, like everyone jumped on them. I mean, it was mm-hmm. definitely really frowned upon if you were basically trying to skirt around these just like daily stuff you had to do or being on call or whatever it was. Like you definitely had mm-hmm. to give all your attention to it. But you also, like you said, wanted to get this done as quickly as possible because you still had to write all those specs and everything. So God forbid you couldn't figure out why bookmarks were down and you were spending all day on that. Right. Then you're basically working till 10 o'clock to get the specs done because... You have to get this investigation done first. And I can remember too, the weekend work. I mean, every Saturday morning, and I kind of still do this today. Mm-hmm. I would get up super early. Saturday morning was like from 6.30 to 9 was like Zynga work. Like Saturday, Sunday mm-hmm. morning. I still do that today where at least 6 o'clock in the morning till 9 on a Saturday is like work time. And I think that's from being on call, getting, <laughs> like getting all my Zynga stuff done so I can enjoy the rest of the day on a Saturday. You know, yeah. like, I don't want to get that email on the sailboat today. <laughs> I'm going to just get all my shit done before 9 a.m., you know? Yeah. It got a little ridiculous, but I mean, it, in retrospect, I don't regret it. I was young and I, and I didn't have any kids. Um, and so I, I learned a ton, you know, and I met some incredible people, like so many great people. But I remember on Sundays and, and eventually it did lead to burnout after years and years of, of like abuse, <laughs> self-abuse as well. But I remember on Sundays in San Francisco, which was a great, it's a kind of a crazy city to live in. Marin, I love, like you're lucky, but it's, it's impossible to get anywhere. And there's no good solution and resources like, oh, I need groceries or I need to buy something from like, luckily now we have everything can be delivered, but back then you couldn't. And so I remember waking up on Sundays. I'm like, okay, I have four hours before I have to work again. <laughs> what am I going to do before I start my week all over again? I'm glad to hear that you, that, that, that Saturday thing is awesome. I, I strive to do that. I sometimes can't manage to get up early on the weekends, um, but that's, that's awesome. It's funny. These podcasts. It's like the memories pop up. I haven't thought about this, like why I do this, but it definitely is being on call and thinking about, I'm, I literally can see my PC Zynga computer like clanking on that at Saturday morning, firing off one of those daily emails and being just happy to have it over at like 7.5 <laughs> I've, I've, I've repressed all those memories, but now that you mentioned it, I had the same feeling. It was, a, it was such a relief to get my daily report out as quickly as possible. I wanted to tell one story because I love telling these stories. Mm-hmm. And I, this is a vivid memory, actually. Early Zynga days, I hadn't, as I mentioned, really worked in an office. I mean, I didn't intern. I didn't. I, I worked at maybe one startup before coming to Zynga. So Zynga was really 
my first office experience. And I get there and it was my summer internship and you were still on Zynga Poker. You hadn't gone to Austin yet. I think it was probably my first week or something. I'm sitting around the office waiting for something, someone to give me some tasks. And you ended up being that person. And someone's like, you know, go talk to Shane. And it was late at night. I remember the office was, there wasn't a lot of people there. And you sit down next to me and you opened up and I'll never forget it. You opened up notepad, the most basic of programs. And you wrote down like task lists of things I need to do and formatted it really nice. I can remember, I can still remember you'd be like, and then like fired off an email to me. And that was it. It was like, there's your assignment. And it's interesting because I think in, when I was there, I thought everyone was so trained on this and this is how people just were. And talking to Justin, who I thought did that as well, and you did it remarkably well too, where you had this like authority leadership mentality and it was like no nonsense. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it because I think maybe this was just a product of development at Zynga more so than it was maybe, or maybe it was our personalities going in or because I felt, I feel like I'm that way now, but I can remember when I first experienced it, it was with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think some of it was um, personality style and, and definitely a big part was like being at that company at that time. Like we just didn't have a lot of time. Like results were expected daily and they were achieved daily. Like every day we were getting bigger and hiring more people than the day prior. And we were measuring ourselves like high resolution on a weekly basis. Like I, I it didn't move to, to monthly, but I remember every Friday meeting with Pincus and doing like a product review every Friday. And out of that meeting, we would come a laundry list of things and then, you know, they'd be expected by next Friday. So yeah, I guess some of it was just time pressure. It was like, we only hired the best people, you know, that became like the bar was the best. So everyone's super smart, super motivated. You know, we tried to be a mission-based company. And I think for the most part that was achieved, like there was, like you said, camaraderie and everyone kind of flew their slot. And like, I, I kind of think of it at the time as like, you like the blue angels and you, you're all moving really, really fast in close proximity. And you just have a lot of trust. And if people couldn't swim, they would sink. It wasn't worth wasting time on that. But most people could swim. I feel like try to hire people who are who are talented and have like great promise and like the capacity to tackle hard problems independently. Also, if you're too prescriptive and if you're too handholding, I think you're going to get the thing they want. They think you want them to do versus getting their best. You know. So I think the open ended is actually get better results. I definitely have continued that mentality of yeah. hire great people and make these assume that they're going to be able to handle it. Right. Like have the assumption where I think other companies assume that they can't and then, mm -hmm. and then sort of see if they can or not. Right. I mean, there were definitely, yeah, that I know that there's like, everyone has their own philosophy. I could tell you my approach on this. Cause I was just thought there was thought behind it, you know, and there's like an approach there. I feel like works well. Like it seems to have worked well is be really hands off. Let people have the freedom, especially with PMs. Like a lot of people have worked for me have been PMs. There, there are certain personality type and, and like aptitude and they have a lot of expectations with their career and other things. And so they need that freedom as well. I think what I would do is the rules of engagement with like new hires is throw them in the deep end and give them enough rope so that they have some freedom, but they can't hang themselves. There wasn't anything on that list that would get you fired. You know what I mean? Right. And then basically really the goal, especially back then, like the cost of training and integrating a new person is so high. Like you hire another person because you want to increase your capacity, but in the process, you have to like draw energy and time from the existing teams. So there's actually a deficit. And so you're really trying to minimize that deficit. And so like what I tend to do is think about it in like the first weeks in the first month, like how do we get this person up to speed with the least amount of costs? 
because as soon as they're up to speed, they're contributing and we're coming out, you know, we're where we want to be, you know, throw them the deep end and then see how they do. And then based on that, keep scaling up the difficulty and the risk around their tasks. And hopefully, you know, they're really contributing in like a month's time. It seems to work. And I don't know, I haven't asked for feedback on it before. <laughs> Maybe people hate it. I don't know. <laughs> like you said, the risk is a really important part, right? Like that first couple of months, you don't have them work on things that are risky. Mm -hmm. it's, up, it's not client facing. It's not going to get pushed live and things like that. One thing I wanted to chat about, because this is legendary and associated with Shane, is the chip gnome. The chip gnome. I think the chip gnome, and mm. I don't know if you remember the chip gnome concept. I do. But, but I the do. chip gnome and Shane was like, so not, I don't know why, but when I think we, after you moved to Austin, it was like, oh, we got to, we, the chip gnome story. Like it, for me at least, it always represented, and this I'll tell you what I re represented, because I actually don't know the background story of it all at all, because I wasn't around for it. But to yeah. me, it always represented that. You never really know what's going to work. You never know what feature is going to work. And the story I often tell is the tip the dealer. Tip the dealer was an mm. idea that someone threw out there. I didn't, but I don't know who did. And, they, and half of the room I know was like, that's a ridiculous idea. Who would tip a virtual dealer, right? And then half of the PMs are like, well, I think maybe that's a decent idea. But there's a lot of people like, that's the stupidest idea ever. They're giving virtual currency to a virtual character. Right? Like there's just no sense, right? They, someone convinces somebody to ship it and we ship it and it ends up being the biggest chip sync that we've ever released besides the game itself and is a fairly successful feature. I mean, so it ends up basically proving that you, you just have no idea. You just don't have any idea. And the, the chip gnome for me, I don't know the story behind it, but it was also kind of represented like you never know what's going to happen. And Shane had this chip gnome story. So that's where I'm going to drop the, the this little like nugget here because I'm kind yeah. of curious. You, you're going to have to remind me because I have, I mean, it's been a while. I, I have my recollections of the chip gnome. What was it that you recall? Like with, I think um, it was a in the gnome game. that the ran across the screen and you like clicked on it and it dropped coins or something maybe i have no idea what the i, I really okay. I, think I, I know what the idea was but was was there something in the game that we had shipped that's the part i'm forgetting. no i think it was like shane wants to ship the chip gnome it's kind right. of to me at least maybe more of a mythical story right that okay that joke like we used to have another joke which you would be like in this idea ideation meeting where you'd be thinking of different features right and if someone sold an idea that was either bad or really gimmicky like a sale would be really gimmicky. Like, let's just give away 90% of our chips on something, you know? <laughs> Someone in the room, and this is how locker room it would be. Someone in the room would go, well, why don't we just put boobs on it? Because boobs <laughs> always work. And it was sort of like this. Be like, well, why don't you just throw some boobs on that feature? You know, it's like a leaderboard with some boobs. <laughs> you know? so, That's hilarious. So I don't know where the chip gnome. I'll tell you the chip gnome. Actually, the chip gnome is memorable to me for a couple of reasons. I think it started as a fever dream. <laughs> and I was like, I woke up in the night. I'm like, oh, I got it. This is it. This is the idea. We need this gnome. And I don't really remember why. And I came back and I was like, hey, we need to ship this feature. Like, I want to put this in the game. And people, everyone looked at me like I was crazy. And maybe I was. But what I recall and like what I think about now, like so many years later, is that to me, the chip gnome represented, it was the idea like, so we had this poker game. Everything's super serious. Like the interface was very functional. It was very efficient. It was reliable. Like we had, we were providing a service to our players and we measured everything, you know, in excruciating detail, but I felt like the game lacked fun. And after years of grinding on it, I was just like, I want to just put something in here that's just ridiculous. And like put a smile on people's faces. Yeah, we really didn't have anything animated 
or or like exciting and fun in the game. Some of the other titles that the company obviously did, but not our game. The only thing we did have, which I I really did like at that time uh, and still was the art team on their own had come up with these animated, we had table gifts, like you could send somebody a drink or whatever. And the art team came up with these really cool ones that would like, when you win, it would like do a dance. And like, we just did this. Uh, McCarthy had come up with that. And I loved working with that guy. He was like so out there. And I, I just really appreciated his perspective. And he would go into detail about like camera angles and like sound effects and all of this for concepts he had. And so anyway, that's where the chip note came from. I just wanted to add something that could have like a narrative around it. And back then people thought it was crazy. Today, like if you're making a mobile title and you want, like people have a higher expectation of like polish and narrative and and like characters and, and like emotional attachment. And so that's honestly, that's where I, my career started of gone. Like since I went into mobile, like quality really matters. And these like more qualitative pieces really drive the metrics and, and you have fewer bets. You can't just grind every day and, and like play the numbers game. You, you still do, but you kind of need to throw three pointers, you know, and, and be good at it. Yeah, that's the chip gnome. It, I really do think it actually was a fever dream, but that was my intent. <laughs> and, and I got shot down and immortalized as a crazy person. I love now like working with game designers and getting their crazy ideas because you kind of have to start. You, you can't go big without starting with some sort of like hypothesis that's like a gut hypothesis. Like, I, I feel like this would be fun, you know? And then, and then we, we can evaluate if it makes sense or if now is the right time, but you kind of need these two contrasting forces to get really great outcomes, I think. So you need, you need someone to come in with like the, the fever dream and then someone else to come with the numbers and say, okay, well, we will, we will wager one day of one engineer on your crazy idea and then we'll see what happens. And then we don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think what it comes down to is two things, I think, like in games and probably all product, bottoms up thinking is really important. And so when, when we're talking about like the justification of thinking where you're using hard facts, it's mathematical, like you're building a proof, right? So you start with like axioms and then you build things on top of those. And then you have theorems that you've proved with axioms and now those are trusted. And so in terms of like, hey, what's the good revenue idea? Like it's, it's gotta be based on facts. And so you had the math to, to back up your position. And versus someone else came in with a top-down sort of intuitive idea. And then there was a disconnect. That was like a lot of what we lived and breathed at Zynga and in and, and, and social gaming is still really important. You have to have bottoms up thinking with based on facts. And, and some of these facts cannot be guessed. They only come from analysis or tests. So all of a sudden you learn these weird things and you're like, okay, well, I guess we need to roll with it and do this thing we never thought made any sense, like tipping the dealer. When we see the numbers, it actually we sink a whole bunch of chips or whatever. And so let's keep it. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And thanks again to our guest, Shane, for coming on to the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait to make more just like this one for you. So until then, here's a little something to close us out. I think, yeah. the, I think the chip gnome would like steal your chips or something. Like it, it would show up magically and then it would like steal your chips and then run away. And then, <laughs> and then every so often you'd see him running across the stream. I think McCarthy and I really got into it. And he was like, it runs across the screen. And then you like, if you tap on it fast enough, like the chips come out of the, of the gnome, like they, they scored out of them. Yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. Let's do that. <laughs>